How y'all doing this morning? Oh, that was bad. How y'all doing this morning? That's much better. Michaela and team, if you appreciated the way they led us in worship, it's cool to have an all-girl band, isn't it? That's awesome. Didn't they do a great job? If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would invite you to turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, or if you have an app, a Bible app, we'll be turning there momentarily. A word that the Lord has impressed upon my heart that I'm going to share this morning that I've entitled, A Song of Two Roads, or if that's not provocative enough, Oh, Be Careful Little Feet Where You Go. A Song of Two Roads, or Oh, Be Careful Little Feet Where You Go. I do not have a clue what it says about a society or a culture when the educational tools and or sources of entertainment that were originally designed for children get repackaged and become wildly popular amongst adults. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just find it a very intriguing thing. Here's a couple examples of what I mean. When I was, you know you're starting to feel older when you say back when I was a kid. Back when I was a kid, video games were exclusively the playground of children. Today, the video game industry is a gazillion dollar a year megalith that is primarily marketed towards those who are 18 and older. I find that interesting. Over the last three to five years, coloring books for adults have gone through the roof as far as sales. And just recently I learned, as recent as three weeks ago, how many of you know what connect the dot books are, dot to dot? Believe it or not, it's been reformatted and repackaged and remarketed for adults, so you can actually get connect the dots, dot to dots. Now, I just recently got reading glasses. You will need either binoculars to strap to your face or reading glasses to do the dot to dots because they're so small, but they're there if you want them. Again, when I was a child, how many of you remember or have heard tell of the genre of books called Choose Your Own Ending? or choose your own adventure. Remember those? Originally, this genre is an interactive story, originally designed for children, in which the reader is invited not only to participate in the story, but to actually shape the narrative. And here's what it looks like. You're sitting at home when your doorbell rings. Will you A, answer the door, B, hide under the bed, or C, call a friend? Let's say you choose C, you call a friend, but there's no answer. Do you A, leave a message, or do you B, run out the back door? Choosing B, you run out the back door only to discover that your yard is filled with bloodthirsty earwigs. Do you A, light the nearest, you can tell I don't write these for a living, eh? Do you light the nearest bug-repellent candle, or B, start stomping the critters into oblivion? You get the idea of what the story is like. And I used to burn through those books as a kid. I recently learned that the choose-your-own-ending, choose-your-own-adventure genre 
has been rebranded and marketed for grown-ups. There are currently 23-plus titles of choose-your-own-adventure books for adults. Now, in case that's not your bag for reading, if you don't even find that idea enjoyable, philosophically, the concept behind it, that of making choices that determine our course, is a fundamental reality characteristic of our shared humanity. Perhaps that's one of the reasons that Robert Frost, the road less traveled poem, is so beloved. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then I took the other, just as fair. This conflict, that is precipitated by the daily reality of decisions being made at the crossroads of life, is described in the 16th verse of the 6th chapter of the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, where we read, This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path, and you will find rest for your soul. Counsel that will ultimately lead every person to answer the question that Joshua asked the children of Israel in chapter 24, choose this day who you will serve. Which path will you take? With what consequences? For and to whom? These are the primary questions that Psalm 1, what someone has called the Song of Two Roads, addresses. And so this morning, I would invite you to please stand for the reading of God's Word, Psalm 1. And for those of you who love the King James Version, today's your lucky day. From the King James Translation, Psalm 1. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and in God's law they meditate day and night. They shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season whose leaf shall not wither. Whatever they do shall prosper. The ungodly or the wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, a song of two roads. This is the word of the Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for being here with us this day. 
I would ask, as already has been prayed, that you would give us discernment and you would give us wisdom. My prayer is that I would not say anything that would be untrue. But if I do, may we be discerning enough to pick it up. And I pray that what I do say that is truth would resonate, that our time together would be meaningful and significant, that it would be transformative, not because of anything that I say, but merely because you use me as your vessel to speak. So I pray that you would dwell here amongst us and change our hearts and our minds. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You can have a seat. It is so good to be with you this morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Dana. I'm one of the pastors here. I spend most of my time in Cornwall. Pastor Gordon is on vacation. Tomorrow is his birthday. And I don't know if I should say that out loud, but if you want to text him or email him just to say happy birthday, um, he'd he'd probably love that. Despite the fact that we live in a politically correct age in which people increasingly say that they're uncomfortable or even opposed to using categories or labels to identify one another, the fact remains that we continue to use the labels anyway, if for no other reason than simply to organize our lives. We use things like race and age and gender, social status, education, political leanings, sports teams, shared interests and experiences, denomination or church, friends or foes. All of these are things that talk about our identity, who we consider ourselves to be. But one of the biggest problems of using labels like these to define who we are is that they only do so in relation to who we are in relationship with one another, as opposed to how God sees us. Which is why the scriptures uses categories to describe people, and they largely consist of who we are in relation to who God is. We are either sheep or goats. We're light or dark. We are children of God or children of the devil. We are citizens of heaven or citizens of the earth. There are those who are bearing fruit for God, or there are those who are barren. In a like manner, Psalm 1 breaks down the human race into two broad categories. Those who walk on the righteous or the blessed path, and those who walk on the ungodly or the wicked path. A song of two roads. Now the majority of times that the Bible uses the word wicked, it's not describing the cartoonish character who who takes every opportunity to be mean and nasty and cruel. It's not describing the despicable me guy, or the Grinch at Christmas, or Cruella de Vil, the villain who parks in the designated spot, kicks animals out of the way, or pops children's balloons. It's not even describing the flesh and blood dictators who send millions to their death in the gas chambers. Much closer to home, nine times out of ten, when the Bible uses the word wicked or ungodly, It is simply referring to good people who have intentionally thrown God's math aside and are marching to the beat of their own drum. The biblically wicked create their own moral code, their own standards of good and evil. The wicked choose their own path. 
They determine what is right and wrong by their own judgment, and they refuse to acknowledge the ways of the Lord. That's usually what the word wicked, when used in Scripture, means. It expands who we think of when we think of the word. But fortunately, the psalmist doesn't start with the wicked. He starts with the other path. Blessed or blessed is the person. And not unlike the word wicked, I think it's important that we consider how we define the word blessed and blessing. Because over the years, those words have taken on some cultural baggage. To the point where for many people, blessed and blessing means little more than human accomplishments and achievements. Even materialistic stuff I've been so blessed with. Fill in the blank. In stark contrast, the biblical understanding of the word blessed means whole, complete, integrated, joyful, peaceful. Blessed is Humpty Dumpty, having all of the broken pieces of his life put together again by the king. And so biblical blessing is the contentment that comes from a right relationship with God, our Father, who art in heaven. What does the blessed person look like? Psalm 1 presents three things that the blessed person won't do. The first thing it says is that the blessed won't believe or think like the wicked. It's what the psalmist refers to as walking in the counsel of the ungodly. The blessed won't believe or think like the wicked. I love what AA calls this, stinking thinking. Romans 12 says, we are to be renewed by the transforming of our minds. Colossians 3 and 2 encourages us, fix our minds, fix our thoughts on things that are above. Philippians 4 and 8 says, if we want to please the Lord, we will think about things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Think on these things, says Paul. Hold every thought captive, says Paul. Proverbs 1 and 7 teaches that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if that is true, isn't there something drastically wrong if and when the beliefs or worldviews of the godly appear identical or indistinguishable from the counsel or beliefs of the wicked? The Bible makes a very clear distinction between worldly or wicked wisdom and righteous or godly wisdom. James 3 and 15 describes a wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul warns his young protege Timothy to avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Several years ago when there was a Christian bookstore in the city, 
my brother worked there for a little while. And I remember a conversation he had with me in which he said, Dana, the secular garbage that well-intentioned but naive Christians are buying and consuming and assuming to be true. Well, at that point, he said it would make my hair fall out. You can tell what a prophet you are. But my counsel to you this morning is, regardless who your favorite teacher is, regardless who your favorite preacher is, regardless who your favorite podcaster is, regardless who your favorite author is, even if it's under the banner of Christian, 1 John reads, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are of God. The blessed person will not believe like the wicked, for when and as we do, we are walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And so my question to you this morning is simply, who is your walking partner? Who do you allow, who have you invited to shape the way that you think? Who are our primary influences? The blessed will choose their walking partners with extreme caution. Secondly, not only will the blessed person not believe like the wicked, Psalm 1 goes on to say that the blessed person won't Behave like the wicked. For when and as we do, we are standing in the path of sinners. At least when we're walking, we're mobile. We're picking things up as we go from point A to point B. Standing in first stopping and engaging and participating. Where walking has to do with the way that we think, standing refers to the way that we act. Isn't there something drastically wrong when the lifestyle of the Christ follower is indistinguishable from that of the wicked? I'll tell you what's a real mind spin. When you get to know people who are non-Christians whose lifestyle is more righteous than half the Christians you know, that really makes you sit up and go, brother. This was one of the primary takeaways from last Sunday's message from Leviticus 18, where God said, don't live like the Egyptians where you used to live. Don't live like the Canaanites where I'm taking you. Follow my ways, says the Lord. And then you will know life. The year was 1802. None of you were around then. When the romantic William Wordsworth bemoaned the negative effects of the Industrial Revolution in a poem that he simply called, The World is Too Much With Us. And in my more critical moments, I've wondered if the same title could not perhaps be applied sometimes to contemporary Christianity. The world is too much with us. Especially considering Jesus' teaching in John 15, where he said, if you were of the world, the world would love you. 
But because I chose you to come out of the world, the world hates you. I love how Eugene Peterson translates that verse. If you lived on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you to live on God's terms and no longer on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? The world is going to hate you. We see this pattern repeatedly through scriptures. Noah builds a boat before the earth had tasted rain and he becomes the village idiot. Three God-fearing exiles stand alone amongst a pagan nation rather than bowing their knee to an idol. And what do they get? Thrown into a fiery furnace. John the Baptist condemns sexual promiscuity at the highest echelons of power. And his head gets cut off. So let me ask, when is the last time that someone recognized that we behave differently due to our relationship with God? Who do we act like? The blessed won't believe like the wicked. The blessed won't behave like the wicked. And thirdly, the blessed won't belong with the wicked. For when and as we do, we're sitting in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 26, 4 and 5 reads, I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Because sooner rather than later, the slippery slope of compromise, most commonly baptized under the banner of tolerance, leads to the place where things that used to prick our conscience start affecting us less and less and less. Eventually, we're justifying it until after a certain tipping point, the good is displaced with the bad and the right with the wrong. At the sitting stage, we've parked the car, we've turned off the key, and we've made ourselves completely at home with those who ridicule everything that we used to consider to be sacred. I was watching a TV show last week and a gal was expressing her displeasure with her man friend. And it was so poignant what she said. She looked at him and said this, whenever I am with you, I am not the person I want to be. Whenever I am with you, I am not the person I want to be. So the question becomes, who do we spend the lion's time of our share with? The lion's share of our time with? There we go. Do they sharpen us like iron? If you want to be blessed, the psalmist says that we'll choose our seatmates wisely. The blessed don't belong or sit with the wicked. They don't behave or stand with the wicked. And they don't believe, walk with the wicked. So if these are the three negative things that the blessed 
won't do, what ought we to do? Verse 2, our delight is in the law or the instruction of the Lord. We meditate on God's instruction day and night. Now I know that that word meditate throws up all kinds of red flags for people. Don't, I almost said don't think of me in tights sitting on a mat going, oh, but don't think of that for sure, for sure. Godly meditation is an exercise that has absolutely nothing to do with emptying our mind. It has everything to do with filling our mind with God's word. It's an intentional, ongoing, dominating discipline that shapes the way that we live. Why meditate on God's instruction? Because Christ's followers believe that God has given us the design for living a fulfilled life. How to best navigate the highs and lows of relationships, the workplace, communication, raising kids, spending money, dealing with our parents, how to handle temptation, dealing with fear, anger, and worry in a Christ-honoring way. Do you delight in God's instruction? Do we reflect on it? Do we chew it over and over and over again until it works its way into our bloodstream so that it shapes the choices that we make? So when we listen and read the news, we can go, wait a second, there's a dissonance here between what God says and what the world is saying. As a student of history, I find it very interesting that every time a person or a group, or a society, or a church, start to play fast and loose with the Scripture, reducing it to little more than pithy morals, or fables, or myths. When we do that, things crash and burn, both on an individual and on a societal level. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Not only does the blessed person meditate on the Bible, will follow its instruction. How many of you remember being in Sunday school and they'd have like a Bible bee in which they would pick the most obscure book in the Bible and see who could find it the first? And the scriptures is so much bigger than that. It's more than just knowing where it's found. It's so much bigger than being able to memorize it and recite it by rote. It's following the words. James 1 and 22 says, do not just, I love black and white stuff, do not just listen to God's word. We must do what it says. Otherwise, we're only fooling ourselves. It doesn't get any more black and white than that. In John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Do what I say. So Psalm 1 says that when and as we follow the Lord's instruction, we become like a flourishing tree, a symbol of abundant life, consistency, security, stability, while living in a dry, sterile, and barren landscape. That is the road, that is the path of righteousness. The flip side of the coin is the path or life of unrighteousness, the life of the wicked, where those who walk in the ways of the Lord are like a fresh, luscious, vibrant tree. The wicked are described as chaff, the leftover 
useless stalks and skin of the kernel of wheat. It's the waste that is thrown away or burned during the harvest. Verse 6 is breathtaking to me in its clarity. The Lord intimately knows and is involved with the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Jesus picks up the same theme in Matthew 7. Prior to teaching that there are only two kinds of builders and there are only two kinds of trees, he says that there are only two paths. And just like the Choose Your Own Adventure books, the path that we choose determines our destiny. Enter by the narrow gate, says Jesus, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many. many who choose the wide road because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are only a few who find it. My sisters and brothers, following Jesus has nothing to do with doing the easy it has everything to do with doing the right thing. We are miles apart. Knowing on the front end, with eyes wide open, that we will pay a price for choosing the narrow road. It's why Jesus said in Luke 14, consider or count the cost. I was reminded of that while in the Bible's permission thrift store three weeks ago. Now, who would think that I'm in the Bible's permission thrift store looking for my $2 books and I'm reminded of consider or count the cost. Someone came up to me who knows me a lot better than I know them. And he just started sharing his story with me, which, because I didn't know him, but he knew me, I had not heard before. And the snapshot of it went like this. He was in his mid-40s, early 50s, and his life was, was composed of going to work, meeting with the same posse of guys after work, and drinking. Tomorrow was the same. Tomorrow was the same. Tomorrow was the same. It was like Groundhog Day forever. He came to a point where he realized that life must be more than this. And so he moved away. Jesus found him. And he got sober. I don't know what order. But it doesn't really matter. He returned to the island, and he looked up his former buddies. And their response to him, after getting sober, and after deciding to live for Jesus, he said to me, I'll never forget, the one that I was closest to looked at me, and this is what he said. 
you've changed. You're no fun to hang around with anymore. This is taking up the cross. This is denying oneself. This is dying daily so that it is no longer I that live, but it is Christ who lives in me. There is a price, there is a toll to pay for walking the narrow road. So as, his, as he told me the story, we, we must have looked like a couple of idiots um, by the book place in Bibles for Mission because both of us had tears running down our cheeks and I could barely keep it together. And, and I, but I was curious. I said, what was your response when who used to be one of your closest friends said, you're no fun to hang around on the island they say get around with anymore? tears running down his cheeks and tears running down my cheeks. He said this, Dana, I wouldn't change a thing in the world. There's a price. There is a toll to pay for walking the narrow road. As the cultural critic Neil Postman has rightfully said, Christianity is a demanding and serious religion. When it is presented or perceived as being easy and amusing, it is another kind of religion altogether. Amen and amen. William Williamson says, the gospel is intrusive news that demands a new set of practices, a new set of disciplines, and a new way of living in this world. Amen and amen. And so we are not to live like the Egyptians. We are not to live like the Canaanites. We are not to live like our fellow PE Islanders. We are not to live like maritime Canadians. We are to live like the Master. Follow me, says Jesus, and you will know life. I like to call Michaela and the team, the, the girls' team back. Blessed, whole, complete, integrated, joyful, peaceful is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Who are we walking with? Who are we thinking like? Who are we influenced by? Be discerning when choosing who you walk with. Nor stands in the path of sinners. Who are we standing alongside? Who are we acting like? Be wise when choosing who you emulate. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Who have we chosen to be our seatmates in this journey called life? What crowd do we belong to? But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And in God's law they meditate day and night. How consistently... Do we meditate and absorb God's Word? Is His instruction the dominant influence on our character? Are we following His instruction? Psalm 1 graphically illustrates that of the two paths, only that of the righteous leads to a blessed life. Through the indwelling person and power of the Holy Spirit, the blessed won't believe like the wicked, behave like the wicked, 
or belong with the wicked. Instead, we will meditate on God's word and keeping our eyes fixed on the author and finisher of our faith, we will do what he tells us to do. And as the hymn says, we'll go where he wants us to go, dear Lord, and we will become what he has created us to be, a tree that's planted by the streams of living water. This, my sisters and brothers of Cornerstone, is what the Lord says this morning. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in that. Travel its path and you will find rest for your soul. A song of two roads. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Would you stand as we sing a prayer in closing?